Rodney Jane here with May Deals So Good You'll Be Glad You Came to Bob Jane T-Marks. Buy three selected Bridgestone, Yokohama, Dunlop or Goodyear tyres and get one free tyre. Plus up to $150 instant cash back on brands like Bridgestone, Michelin, Pirelli, Continental and more. That's not all. Get a massive 20% off on selected Kumo tyres. We won't be beaten with our best tyre price guarantee. Give us a call or shop online today. We'll look after you. Hey, this is the Parked Up Podcast. We're powered by Race Fuels here. My name is Grant Rowley. We've got two special guests to talk to today as part of this podcast, episode 214. Damn, we've been doing this for quite some time. But in this episode, I'm going to speak to Alex Davison the Shell V Power Racing Endurance Driver. He's also racing Carrera Cup. He does some uh, DSA work, some driver standards advising work for various speed series categories, always at the racetrack. Uh, really nice guy, one of the best in the business. And uh, he was really kind enough to give me a little bit of his time recently. So uh, let's get into that real soon. And uh, also... At the end of that, uh, Mark Fogarty from Parked Up Plus spoke to Adrian Burgess about a range of different things that is happening in supercars at the moment, some of which you've heard bits of the chat on uh, Parked Up Plus. You would have heard that on Monday. I've got the full interview for you, and that'll come up after Alex Davo, one of the nice guys, always been great for me through my journalistic and and media and communications career, uh, always got time for you. And uh, he was uh, kind enough to give me plenty of his time for this podcast. It's coming up right now. It's Alex Davison on Parked Up. Hey, it's great to have Alex Davison on the Parked Up podcast. Alex, thanks for coming on, mate. Yeah, thanks for having me, Grant. Um, so uh, a pretty busy uh, little year for you. You've uh, started the season in Carrera Cup. You've uh, been confirmed as coming back for uh, endurance driver with your brother Will in the yeah. uh, in the the supercars endurance races. Uh, this time Sandown and Bathurst. So you get two cracks at it uh, this year. Um, yeah, tell us uh, how things are looking for you in uh, 2023 so far. Um, yeah, as you said, it's, it was pretty exciting news to um, find out I was staying with DJR and doing the, the endurance races in the 17 car with Will again. And bonus that it's two rounds this year, which we haven't had for a few years, which makes um, our job as co-drivers a lot easier having that sand down, um, the sand down race prior to Bathurst. As calling it a warm up's the wrong wrong thing to say because it's still it's just as important as any other round. It's still an important race, but um, it's certainly a little bit less challenging than rolling straight into Bathurst cold as we have done the last couple of years. So yeah, looking forward to doing that. And um, and from a racing perspective, um, I'll be doing the Porsche Carrera Cup Championship as well. We've had the first round at the at Albert Park at the Grand Prix, so. Also great that um, I'm doing a bit more racing this year and um, one, because I love racing. I love racing Porsches. I love racing in the Carrera Cup Championship and it also prepares me a bit better for Enduros as we were talking about. Mm. 
Yeah, you didn't do a lot of racing last year. We see mm-hmm. a lot of you at the track through some uh, uh, driving standards roles at uh, for various categories, particularly with the speed series. Um, but not not a uh, not a heap of racing. Was it something that you that you tried to pursue for this year? Um, I'm always trying to to race, but um, you know, like a, a lot of people, it's you know, it's it's not always that easy. I don't have a budget ready to just go and race whatever I want. So I generally, like I have all my career, have gone where the opportunities have presented themselves, and um, sometimes those opportunities have been more abundant than other times. So it's um, getting getting um, to the wrong side of 40. It, it does get trickier. And um, and although I still love racing, you, you know, the realities of life and work and everything um, make it a little bit trickier to, to go hunting for those, for every little drive you can. Um, yep. It's not a, it's not a lack of desire by any means, um, but, just um yeah gets gets trickier as time goes on so yeah the last couple of years i haven't raced i've done, continued to do the enduros um in 21 and 22 um i haven't had another racing program last year i spent um, a good part of the year working with scott taylor coaching him um so i was at all the Carrera cup races working with um the ash seawood motorsport team and scott um, on his radio and doing all the test days with him and did the 12 hour with him um, and Craig Lance and Jeff Emery last year in a Porsche uh, same as this year we did in the Mercedes as well um, and then that sort of led into um, driving Scott's car in the Carrera Cup Championship this year um, we're all geared up for him to drive and um, he got a bit of an injury earlier in the year doing a triathlon and was unable to drive at the Grand Prix so um I stepped into the car at that round. And at this stage, I'll, um, you know, Scott's still unable to drive. So I'll continue on in the championship um, in that car at this stage. Yeah, awesome. And um, you're a former champion of that class. But uh, yeah, she's uh, she's pretty competitive these days. Yeah. I'm sure you'll agree. Yeah, yeah. I mean, lots of young guys, um, lots of talented young guys. So stepping in at the last minute without a whole lot of prep. Um, was was tricky at the Grand Prix. We, we probably didn't go quite as well as um, I'd hoped I'd go. Um, a little bit not being great prepared. I mean, a, a lot of those guys, most of the serious young guys at Macarays and Sonics, um, they'd done a lot of testing before the, the season started, so they were well up to speed. Um, I wasn't quite there. And we also didn't nail the setup. Um, a few normal race driver excuses going to come out here, but we didn't <laughs> quite nail the setup for that track on the weekend. So, you know, at the back of the top 10, um, which is definitely not up to expectations, but I'm pretty confident you'll see us get more competitive um, in the coming rounds. Mm, uh, next, uh, it's a big gap between round one and round yeah. two. Second round's up in beautiful Darwin. Looking forward yeah. to getting up there and improving the uh, Melbourne suntan that I've uh, currently got, <laughs> got going on. Um, but covered uh, in midgy, midgy bites as well, unfortunately. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, I, actually, I've never been. Uh, I've never had a problem with them. I don't know. They just uh, they don't like me. 
have you have you had an issue with uh, with the midges up in Darwin? Yeah, every year you get smashed up there. It's a wow. not as yeah. bad as some some people end up with their legs bandaged up by the end of the weekend. I'm not that bad, but yeah, they, anyway. yeah, they don't like me. I don't know. <laughs> I don't have whatever they want. I don't have. Um, okay, cool. So yeah, so I, I guess. Um, you know, getting this seat time for the endurance <clears throat> races is, is is really important. But you know, when you strap yourself into that Porsche, come Darwin, you know, you're not thinking about racing a uh, racing a car at Mount no. Panorama later on. You're uh, <clears throat> you're thinking about getting the most out of you, what what you've got at that time. So you know, what do you want to get out of it? Like, is it is it to be in that top that top five? group uh, against what are you know young a lot of young bucks probably kids who were your age when you were winning the uh the Carrera Cup titles uh I, everyone talks about doing support type categories in order to be prepared for the enduros and I did sort of mention it before but I love car racing so um it's it's not just about being prepared for the supercar endurance races. I'm racing because I love racing. I want to win races. I'd love to win another Carrera Cup championship. Um, it's purely because it's what I do and it's what I've always done. And um, and I love doing it and still have a desire to be successful doing it and to achieve and to achieve things. Even though I'm past the sort of um, the, the, the main part of my career, if you want to put it that way, um, there's no denying that. Um, so it's not like I'm still trying to build a career. Um, I'm on the other side of that peak for, for sure. Um, but still have things I want to achieve, still want to win races, still want to do well. So, um, I'm confident I can still be competitive in, in the career cup championship for sure. Um, I don't think I've got slower, but definitely like any sport, if you're not doing it a lot, um, it's, you get rusty. You're not going to perform at your best if you you haven't raced for two years, for example. So, um, probably still getting up to speed in the in the fine details, um, qualifying, being quick straight out the gate, all the little things that when you're sharp and you're racing all the time, you get a lot more proficient at. Um, but I think I'm very confident we'll be com- we'll be competitive and hopefully can get up the front of the field somewhere. There's anyone who knows how to drive a Porsche fast in this country. It's definitely you, mate. Um, okay, so um, yeah, so locked in to drive with uh, with brother Will for uh, Sandown and Bathurst. Um, you've you you drove the Gen Three car in a recent test at QR. Um, how much of a shift is it? How uh, you know we've seen a couple of rounds now of these cars out there, but for you with your bum in the seat, what was it like? I did. I mean, I did very few laps, not enough laps to really get a great feel of the car. Um, it was definitely just they had a bit of downtime during the day. Um, not much, though, because um, obviously there was limited testing prior to the first round for them. So it was very busy for them. But they had a few minutes. So they chucked me in for five laps, or a couple of five lap runs. So it was just a chance to get a bit of a feel. Um, obviously, very different, quite different, the car. Um, still a supercar. You still know you're driving a supercar. Um, and clearly, and it was clear that the cars were at that point in particular were in their infancy as, as far as in their sort of development cycle. They'd hardly done any setup work yet. Um, the, the, with DJR, with their sort of um, pre-season testing, they spent a lot of that time 
um, basically getting the cars working properly and had a few niggles. So um, at that point, hadn't done a lot of performance testing. They were just getting started with that. So I'm pretty confident if I hopped in the car now with three rounds under their belt, it's going to feel a fair bit different and uh, a bit nicer than when I drove it the first time. Yeah, cool. Um, maybe not exactly the start mm. that the Shell V-Power team wanted. Mm. They're not too far away. Geez, we saw it um, at Wanneroo how close it was, you know, three-tenths yeah. covering the field. Mm. It's a uh, it's a joke. So, um, standard at Wanneroo. <laughs> that's right. So, yeah, look, I'd imagine come Bathurst, uh, these guys are going to have it sorted. They've had their, they've had their struggles, but if there's any team that's going to um, pick up, uh, pick it up and get on with it, it's going to be those guys. I have no doubt. I mean, they're, they're, they're an absolute top class team. Um, one of the best teams, easily one of the best teams, if not the best team I've ever driven for in terms of just being organized, all the structures they have in place, the way they work um, from an engineering perspective. And there's some fantastic guys there um, with pretty good, pretty good stability um, with race engineers and stuff that they've had over the last few years. So um, yeah, there's no doubt they would have liked to roll out a little bit better than they did. I think um, a lot of the, for lack of a better description, struggles, as, as you put it, they had in the first couple of rounds were down to um, not having uh, the smoothest preseason testing with the new cars. Um, they had some pretty, pretty basic, but, time-consuming issues to, to sort of get through during those test days. And that really limited the performance testing and development they could do. So they're doing, obviously, doing a lot of that development now during the race meetings, um, which is always more difficult than on test days. So um, you've seen big improvement over the last couple of rounds. Um, Will was pretty competitive at Perth, not where they want to be, but, you know, it was a solid fifth and sixth. They had really solid strategy and solid pit stops and everything was, um, it was a, it was no major dramas over the weekend for them. Um, so, yeah, I'd say you'll see that, that sort of improvement continue. Mm. Yeah, very and good. Hopefully, and then hopefully it peaks at Sandown and Bathurst for TD9, <laughs> the co-drivers to roll in. Perfect. <laughs> Excellent. Just uh, collect trophies and uh, dust your hands. <laughs> see you later. Yeah. Tony will be uh, very, very uh, excited to hear something like that. Um, so uh, Will is uh, continuing a, a really rich vein of, of form. And I know the results in 2023 haven't come, but I think you've, you might've just helped explain why, you know, we're not seeing those red and white cars um, right at the very front as we have been used to over the past couple of years. But, um, you know, his form in the past uh, three seasons has just been um, just terrific, I guess, for a guy, you know, who's, you know, not much younger than yourself, only I know he's your younger brother, but uh, sure. uh he's um he's only a couple of years your junior and uh he just uh, has kept finding ways to um to reinvent and to re remain super relevant at the front of that field absolutely i mean will's driving fantastic um and to be honest um guys at that level although over the years in different teams and stuff you've seen him not be competitive um and then all of a sudden 
you know, in 18, it was sort of a bit inconsistent at 23 red. Then in 19, when they were at 23 red was a, a Tickford car, all of a sudden he's competitive again and everyone goes, oh, Will's remembered how to drive. <laughs> and then switched to a new team with DJR. It was, um, you know, first year in a new team's always a bit trickier. So it was a bit up and down. Oh, Will's forgotten how to drive again. Then last year, oh, Will's remembered how to drive. But really, there's a lot more to good performance than just the driver. There's a whole team of people, which includes the driver, that has to gel and many, many, many ingredients that have to go into that pudding um, to get one that tastes good at the end. Um, but there's one name on the results sheet, which is the driver. Um, so I think Will's performed consistently well over all those years. Um, on weekends when maybe they don't have the quickest car and he's not challenging for a podium or a win, like we saw in Perth, he really, he really shows his class. He battles in the mid-pack. If it's the mid-pack or in the back of the top 10 or 5th, 6th, 7th, like he was on the weekend, he battles well. He races smart. The car comes back without wheels hanging off, without penalties, and he, maxim in most cases, um, maximises the result that's possible with the speed you've got on the weekend. So, And then when he's got a car capable of a podium, he's there in the fight. If he ends up in the lead of the race he does what he needs to do to, to lead the race. So he's still a class guy. Um, yeah, I might be biased, but the the results pretty much back up what I say. And then um, hopefully, uh, you know, they keep improving and we can see him up on the podium during the season. Yeah, perfect. Particularly Sandown and Bathurst again. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Even if it's only Sandown and Bathurst, I'm fine <laughs> with that personally. <laughs> I reckon he'd be pretty happy with that too. Um <laughs> Hey, uh, we, uh, you know, we've seen you do, uh, you and Will do lots of racing and, uh, you know, the, the whole family has uh, <laughs> been in the Australian motorsport scene for uh, longer than probably anyone listening to this podcast could even uh, think to remember. But um, your dad's still, still racing and still goes to um, most major events uh, supporting yourself. Uh, and will anytime you guys are racing and he races himself as well there's uh there's yeah anytime i'm clicking open uh natsoft um uh, results sheets there's a fair chance there's going to be a davison on there it's it's cool to see that your dad is still um yeah getting out there and competing in formula ford mm -hmm. like he does Dad's racing a lot more than I am these days. He's, <laughs> he's um, nearly, seems like he's always in a car and he's having a great time in Formula Ford, uh, both in the historic class and his 89 Van Diemen. Um, and he has also been driving my old 95 Van Diemen um, in what is it in the state series in the 1600 class though. So um, there's a few cars with uh, the Kent Motors at the back uh, of the main field. And um and he's having a great time and he's driving really well. He's um he's sixty nine now, um but it's, he's a definitely a young sixty nine. He looks after himself really well. Um, most people are surprised to hear that he's sixty nine and he certainly doesn't drive like a sixty nine year old. I think he still thinks he's twenty sometimes. So <laughs> he gets stuck in. Um, he has a real passion for the category for Formula Ford. Um, him and his brother in particular, they're massive Formula Ford. Uh, advocates and fans. Um, he's travelled over to England a handful of times and competed in the Walter Hayes Trophy at Silverstone. Um, and yeah, he wants to. He's you know as we all do now, and he probably did when he was he was racing um, when he was younger. He straps his helmet on and 
is pretty hungry to get a trophy. So he, he has a good go. I did speak to him a, a couple of Bathurst six hours ago and uh, and he was eyeing off that event with the idea yeah. that the three of you guys could mm. uh, could compete in a mm. um, in a you know in that really grassroots grassroots um, event, but um, but a, a, a triple Davison effort in a endurance race at Mount Panorama would be, would be pretty cool, right? That would be cool, and it's been discussed. The, the sort of right opportunity hasn't presented itself. I'm not. 100% sure of the regulations whether all three of us could actually do it because Will and I would both be seated as pros. Um, Dad was supposed to do the race last year and I think in an older BMW, but the car got scratched the last minute. Um, but you never know. If, if the opportunity presents itself, then um, it, it could happen. Um, it, would be, it would be really good fun to do. Um, it's just a matter of, yeah, finding... Finding the right team and the right car where you can have a, a good weekend. Um, you know, they're, 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 they can be problematic, the production cars. So yep. you, you want to do it in the right car with the right guys doing it. Otherwise, it's just not an enjoyable experience. So we, uh, we'll keep our, uh, I don't know, we'll keep our ears to the ground, see see what pops up in the future. That would be fun. Yeah, cool. Cool. Um, okay. Cool. So, look, I want to end. Uh, I want to end this podcast with a uh, a little uh, fun, uh, a fun thing for you to go through your uh, your your best race and your worst race. Um, I gave you a little bit of time to think about this <laughs> while, while I've been uh, just before we uh, started recording. Um, but I was I'm just doing. A, I helped my mates, our, our mates, out at uh, Sonic with some of their uh, social media and some of their. Um, uh, media releases and other bits and pieces and uh, they're celebrating 25 years this year and one of the tasks that Mick Ritter has given me is to go through and find uh, collate some stats on all of their all of the uh, uh, times that they've they've raced <laughs> Formula Ford Porsche um, Super 2 Series whatever so um, just trying to find all of Sonic's results from over the years, particularly Formula Ford, is a big task. You were their first sure. driver 25 years ago. Yeah. Um, and I went to Natsoft and uh, there's a little function where you can search by driver name. And I typed in, uh, it's got uh, type in surname and the initial or first name. So Davison A. You have driven, according to Natsoft, 60 different types of cars recorded really? by Natsoft. Now, wow. some of them might be double ups, like you know the officials, uh, timekeepers <laughs> might have written written in there a particular type of Porsche, like because it it honestly looks like you've driven any Porsche that's ever been made in Germany. You've driven it, according to this. Probably not far off. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's a uh, yeah, but I counted it's six, sixty different. That's in uh, Australia too. That's a, that's only in Australia with nets off. So that's, that's right. Yeah. It's a yeah, it's an incredible thing. So trying to think of your best race and your worst race might be difficult. Just uh, even trying to remember yeah. uh, all all the things you've done. But uh, when you think about the, um, and you know, best race doesn't even necessarily have to be the one where you cross the finish line first. It could be the one where you just felt that was that was a good race, or geez, I felt good about that result. What comes there's, to mind for your best? Well, as you said, there was there's a there's a lot. So I probably won't nail that absolute best as you said I'll, I'll i'll think of a better one 
tomorrow and give you a call back. <laughs> um, but there's a couple that stand out. One in particular was, as you said, not one where we even got a trophy at the end, but the car behind me there. Oh, just lost my Zoom. Hang on. Yeah, I can. There we go. The car behind me there is um was 2008 um, uh, European Le Mans Series, what is now World Endurance Championship. Um, and that was at Le Mans 24 Hours, the, the photo behind me in particular. And that race was one of those races where I just loved it. It was the first time I'd been to that event. Um, it's one of those small handful of motor racing events, even sporting events, like like the AFL Grand Final as well, or, or Bathurst 1000, where you walk into the arena or the racetrack or the, the general area and you can cut the atmosphere with a knife. Um, you can feel something important's going on. You can feel the passion that the fan ha fans have for that event. And um, Le Mans 24 hours, the, the fans there, the sports car fans there, um, you know, are up with the supercar fans at the Bathurst 1000. There's a lot of passion and interest there. And that and that event in particular, we were really competitive. We qualified, uh, pretty sure we qualified on pole. Um, we led the race on and, up, on and off. I was driving with a guy, uh, another one of the other Porsche factory drivers, Wolf Hensler, as well as Horst Felbermeyer, who was an older guy. Um, but basically, Wolf and I did the whole race, the whole 24-hour race, two drivers. Um, if we stayed in contention, um, um, horse wouldn't have driven at all. So that's not something you're even allowed to do these days. Two drivers for a 24-hour race is pretty uh, tiring, <laughs> to say the least. Mm. But yeah, our car, we had a really good car. It was a factory factory car. Um, we are on the pace, had some really good stints. Um, unfortunately, we got let down with a gearbox problem about halfway through. But even that's a cool story because... Um, because we broke the, the gearbox broke, but we still finished the race, which isn't something you normally say. And at Le Mans, you're not allowed to replace the gearbox. But <laughs> I can tell the story now because it's a long time ago. You sure? Yeah, yeah. Um, so um, the guy named Rainer Gull, who was in charge, he sort of managed the, the customer teams, the G customer GT teams there and... Um, would we deal with him with engines and gearboxes and all that sort of stuff that was pretty good factory support back then he basically and he'd done a million Le Mans 24 hours with Porsche over the years so he knows all the tricks so he basically filled the garage with fans and people and tire trolleys and as much shit and corruption as they could find so the <laughs> little French scrutineers couldn't see what was going on they climbed under the car took the back of the gearbox off, splashed a bit of gear oil around so it smelt like gear oil and that they were repairing the gearbox, but then dropped the gearbox, put a mat over it. Rainer Gall, who would have been 60, so um, in his older years to be running around like a rat on the floor, but the, we had plastic flooring, so they slid the gearbox with this mat over it under people's legs into the engineering room and hid it under the desk. Another new gearbox came sliding out under everyone's feet and disappeared under the car. And they put a new gearbox in and we probably lost 10 laps or 12 laps or whatever it was at the time, <clears throat> um, which doesn't sound like a lot, but obviously it's a four minute lap. So, um, and we got back out in the race and we, you know, finished fifth in class or something. There was a bit of attrition in the race. So from then on, it obviously wasn't that exciting, but um, that was a great memory doing that race, being competitive, leading the race. Um, that's a, it was, a, it was cool to see 
the guys work and use every trick in the book, even if they were illegal, to get us back in back in the fight. <laughs> um, yeah, that was and that was one we didn't win. Um, there's some other races where plenty of races where I won or got a result, which um, are exciting for other reasons as well. Um, my last Formula Ford race in Australia with Mick with Sonic um, was at Oran Park, and um, we were burst in every practice session, qualifying session, and won all three races. Um, and that was a great memory too. And we just missed out on the championship by two points. It was a really exciting finish. Um, super exciting finish to the to the championship and came down to literally the last lap, depending on what um, Mercho and Greg Ritter were, what position they were in at the time. So um, that was another one that stood out. Yeah. No, it sounds like you did everything you uh, possibly could to to put give yourself a chance to win that. Um yeah, so look, that uh, the overseas uh, sports car racing was, uh, you know, looked like it could have been a a, um, a big part of your career, but uh, like you eventually came home. You still did do quite a bit of uh, sports car stuff over there, and mate, still uh, very young enough, very fit enough to to go and do it. Is you know, is it um, it might not be something you're fishing for, but you'd still be open for events like that. Yeah, absolutely. Um... I mean, in the end, I had I had a great year in 2008. I went back to Europe. I'd been home for four years and then got an opportunity with, with the factory to to um, rate, be in their GT program in 2008. And that was awesome. I raced in America. I mean, I did initial contract was for the six rounds of the European Le Mans series. I ended up doing 20 races or something that year. Um, in American Le Mans Series, FIA GT, Italian GT, GT Open, Porsche Carrera Cup. I did Bathurst 1000 in Australia. I, um, so it was awesome. And But it was at the time the GFC was just starting up. Um, all the car manufacturers were scaling back. Um, there was no, there was nothing on the table for, um, for 2009. Nothing solid with Porsche. I, I wasn't going to have a contract with them for 2009 because they were, they had to scale things back. I probably could have, I still would have had opportunities to race over there, probably in the same cars I was racing um, in 08, but it wasn't a solid contract. And at the same time, um, my partner at the time was pregnant with my first daughter um, and I had a, a three-year contract offered to me to do supercars. And the stability, and I love supercars. It was something, and the other side of it is I really wanted to do supercars. Um so in in hindsight, probably from a career stability perspective, Europe would have been better. There's a lot more opportunities there purely because there's more than one professional category. There's multiple, multiple, multiple um, categories where you, you can earn money racing. Um, and your exposure isn't just to the one country. It's basically when you're in Europe, you, I, you know, I did races in Asia, in America, in Europe, in Australia, you're got all of those options available to when when you're back in Australia we're isolated and it's um it is difficult to get the same opportunities overseas so mm. to answer your question yes I'd love to do those things but obviously with a young family it's the travel is more difficult I can't move overseas like I could back then um so the and when you're not I mean I'm getting a little old now but um when you're not in amongst it, even when I finished with Stone Brothers at the end of 11 and for 12, I was looking for opportunities overseas. 
and there was some good possibilities, but I had to be over there. Um, if you're out of sight, out of mind, it, mm. it was it was a little bit difficult. So, yeah, 2018, I did World Endurance Championship, so I did Le Mans again. Um, that was a great opportunity that popped up after the 12 hour where I drove for David Calvert Jones in a GD3R. Um, so that was good, but yeah, those opportunities are hard to come by these days. Yep. <clears throat> um, okay, cool. So we've uh, we've talked about all the good things. Let's talk about uh, the bad things. Well, of course, of course, of course. Um, you know, it could be, uh, you know, just the one that the the race that got away, so where it was, things were going really good, and uh, and uh, but you know, a day where you walked away from the track and uh, you yeah felt real sorry for a Davison. Um, I mean, there's a lot of disappointments. So nailing one, I mean, I, I can I can think of some really disappointing events where there was a good result was on the cards and it didn't come through. But you end up walking away from those events if you've done a good job and performing well, and a mechanical failure or something ends up taking you out. You don't. You end up walking away still feeling somewhat positive um the dis- yes I, I mean i had some really disappointing races and in general it was a really disappointing experience in 2005 driving for larry perkins um you know you go into a season like that um with all the expectations you know it was at the time it was my big break to get into supercars um it seemed like a great it seemed like a great decision to make at the time to drive for Larry, but it ended up just being a disaster. Um, I won't go into all the details because it's I don't want to be bitter, but yeah, some of the races were really tough. Um, just being in a category like that and not having the support you needed was pretty demoralizing. And the way it ended was um one of the most disappointing days at a racetrack in my life. Um so yeah, that was that was that was pretty that was probably the the worst and yeah worst experience i've had in in racing but clearly uh luckily i bounced back and it didn't end there so it's all good very good um yeah it was uh i guess the way that uh the perkins team had, was going at that point you know larry had only kind of uh not long retired from from full-time driving and he was kind of heading into a different era of of his team and as it turned out only a couple of years later he was He'd completely um, sold out of um, of the sport when he sold all the, all this stuff to to the Kellys. But uh, yeah, I guess for <clears throat> for some, you know, those those types of things can be a career killer. But um, uh, you know, after that, you went back overseas and ultimately came back to race with uh, with the with the Stone Brothers. Yeah. Uh, on yep. the other side of it, so it wasn't a career killer, but I don't know. Geez, at the time, did you think um, I, yeah, might, it, I might struggle to get back into this? Yeah, definitely. And you don't realize, like I was young at the time; uh, I was twenty-four or twenty-five or whatever it was. And now I look back and you see someone who's twenty-four, twenty-five, twenty-six, and you think, "Oh, they're so young." But at the time, you feel like you're getting old and you're running out of time, and you get impatient and you don't panic, but um, you think it's the the end of the world. And um, certainly I wasn't sure if I'd get another opportunity in supercars. Um, 
but I was determined. I, I, I'm passionate about racing. I still had faith in my own ability and I was determined not to let one year and one person define define me. So um, I got over it pretty quick and just put my head down and kept racing. Um, and did I went back to Carrera Cup the following year um, with Paul Crookshank and Andy McIlroy and we had a great team um, and I really, you know, I, I got back to loving loving my driving, got some confidence back again. Um, did the Enduros with Dick Johnson Racing in um, 06 and 07 as well, which was great because I performed, was able to perform well because they had nice equipment then. They were pretty competitive um, and was able to be way more competitive as a co-driver than I'd ever been um, as a full-time driver or sort of a full-time drive with with Perkins. So it gave me some confidence that, yes, I can drive a supercar. Um, and, uh, and yeah, moved on from there. It was all good. Excellent. Cool. All well <laughs> that ends well. Um, okay. So what uh, so what uh, fills in your time between now and uh, <clears throat> Darwin? Um, next week, not this weekend, the following weekend, uh, we have Speed Series, Phillip Island. So I work as the driving, one of the driving standards, standards advisors um, for them. Um, so across, um, there's, there's a couple of us and we work across all the, the ARG categories. So TCR, V8 Touring Cars, Touring Car Masters, S5000, Trans Am. Um, so I'll be there working with those guys. Um, then I do what a lot of semi-washed up racing drivers do, do driver training, um, um, car, car launches and different driving events like that, coaching um, and the rest of it. So there's there's plenty on. And as well as um, we've got some testing coming up with DJR shortly um, where I'll hopefully get a few laps. Um, so yeah, plenty on. And then Darwin obviously isn't too far away next month. Yeah. So. Yeah, looking forward to that. Um, it's freezing bloody cold. You've you've lived in Melbourne enough of your life to know that uh, on uh, in in May it's bloody cold, and it is so. Uh, June yep. up in Darwin for a weekend is going to be really cool. <laughs> hey, mate, thanks uh, for coming on the Parked Up podcast. Really appreciate it. Look forward to seeing you down at um, Phillip Island, and I'll leave it with you to bring the good weather to the island. Thank you. I'll do my best, mate. Thanks. Now, thanks, Alex. Uh, the uh, best, best and the worst. It's, uh, now, that's something that I'm going to try and bring up uh, in some of my pods in the uh, coming coming weeks um, while we uh, fill in the gap between Mark Fogarty's parked up pluses every Monday. Okay, so now, speaking of folks, let's go. Fogues spoke to Adrian Burgess while he was in Perth about a number of things. There's lots going on in the... Uh, administration and technical world of supercars in this new gen three formula um they've they've uh they've launched this uh this new car really well they look great they sound good they're very close between the two brands between the ford and the chevy but you know there's uh there's still lots of questions and uh, supercars have been working tirelessly to to uh to make sure that the product is as best it can be and as close as it can be for all the teams and the different brands uh, and the fans. So here's Fogues and Adrian Burgess. Adrian Burgess, head of motorsport of supercars and the man who's been directing and driving 
Gen 3. So the latest round of changes, the main one here is, well, in simple terms, you know, new mapping for the Ford engines. Why was that done? Uh, what is the effect of that change? Yeah, so the homologation team approached supercars for an ESD change, which they're entitled to do. The, the nuts and bolts of what they did is they identified that when they're off throttle, their camshafts, it's very complicated how they set them up, their camshafts weren't stable, they were moving around, they, it wasn't like a linear position that they're in, so they're moving around and, and they wanted to stabilise that, just put the cams in, a, in sort of one position or a more stable position when they're off throttle. So they did that, so that's where people think that's their engine braking. It hasn't really affected their engine braking, but it's just made the engine in that phase a lot more consistent and dependable for the driver. And equally that on the upside, when you then go and pick up the throttle, it's just made the response a little bit cleaner, a little bit crisp, a little bit more precise, probably easier for the driver to modulate the throttle. So the two actually work together, and that was the basis of their request. And that was the, that's what they got in the end. And is this across the rev range or, or mainly you know low down the, well, the rev? Off throttle, it's a, on a percentage thing, not necessarily an RPM based thing. It was on a per throttle percentage. So when they're off the throttle, it was just keeping the engine or the cam profile just a little bit more consistent. Mm -hmm. And then it's just more drivable on the exit. It's more the driver has more feeling. The driver has a little bit more consistency in what he's going to yeah. get when he picks the throttle up. And what about Ford's concerns that it has expressed over, for want of a better term, top-end engine performance? You know, they're looking for an adjustment. Is this is this related to what you've just done, and is there more work going on with that? There's been a piece of work that's been going on all year. They've, they've got an anomaly after the shift, so post-shift, and so their, their complaints around, you know, lack of performance in fourth gear, fifth gear, sixth gear, primarily come from the what the engine does after the shift. So there has been a shift cut introduced to, to try and bring that discrepancy together. That obviously affects their end of stroke speed. So that's how we've been managing it at the moment. I think you look at the end of stroke speeds this weekend and the cars are, you know, just stupidly close. So the mechanism we've put in place to try and prioritise that or manage that while they go and hunt for the real reason why their engine has this anomaly post-shift that's how we're managing it and that's how we're prioritising it. So I think you, know, you need to speak to Ford as to what the initial issue is, but the, what we've put in place to manage that has been working very well. Right. And, and then, as I think you said, is the, is the modification, or your trial in practice at Wanneroo, we, we, the modification of the shift cut, and what, is that making it quicker? Speeds. We just looked at different speeds because right. you've got a different drop gear ratio here. So that's right. just part of how you manage the process. So. You know, they are now, they're exactly the same as they were as AGP. So for them this weekend, their only change has been their ESD change mm -hmm. and a tidy up of their, their throttle area map, which they found, or we all found some issues with that, that was affecting their cars um, at the AGP. And again, that's been cleaned up, it's been tidied up. So this is all part of what you go through when you're developing new engines yeah. for a new car. And another example is the... Um the, the, the well, the centre of gravity. We we'll get to that, and but at the uh, the oil catch tank yeah. and its relocation. So, what's the verdict so far on that? Is the the, the change of the relocation to the rear and uh, the fireproofing of the inner guards is that working? 
well, we haven't had a car on fire yet, but then you just don't know, do you? This is not a, you don't you don't just run the car once and tick a box saying that's done, put it to bed. It's you manage it and and monitor it for a period of time. So that to be clear, we haven't moved the catch tank. We've actually moved the exit, the breather of oh, the yeah. catch tank to the back of the car. The catch tank is still in the same position. So, but yes, hopefully touch wood, then we don't have it occur again. Clearly, we don't want that. And centre of gravity, when you did the test, the difference was, well, minuscule, and yet an adjustment was made. So why was an adjustment needed? Well, you're, you're correct. The, the adjustment required was minuscule. Mm. And before the season came, we were checking the weights of the components. We knew the weights of the engines, the chassis, most of the componentry. But we were. the problem is why it didn't happen pre-season is because the cars were very late in build, as we all know. And the time available and the fact that we had another VCAT, there wasn't the time to do it. But electronically, we'd done it. So we'd done it in CAD. And we knew it was very close. So the risk to the lap time and... and, and parity at that point we knew was very small so we got to it as soon as we could which was after the AGP and then as we measured the nine cars it equated to 2.3 millimeters mm. and put that into context with the gen 2 car when we measured the three cars then that was 21 millimeters and we put 28 kilos in the roof of the Ford to balance it if we'd put this if we'd applied the same process here and put the ballast we needed to move into the roof of the Camaro here, it'd be 1.8. So really, in the context, it's absolutely nothing. And then equally, when you look at the lap time sensitivity of that that 4.9 kilos, what it actually means to your lap time, it's very, very small. It's like 0.007 on a circuit like this. It's not, it's so small. But then your next question is why? Because you know, we're in competition here. These teams are in competition. If you ask all the GM guys, they'll say, don't bother, it's a waste of time. But then if you ask the blue guys, they'll say, guys, it's not parity. So we're trying to make sure we've got parity and we want to tick every single box we can so that people don't come and ask us any questions, are the cars paratized? We want them paratized so that then, then those guys just go and race hard and fair, knowing that they've got the same ability, they've got the same technical uh, package as the other side. So. We could have probably got away with not doing it. I don't believe for a second you see any difference here on the track that comes from the COG adjustment, but we know we've all ticked the, bo ticked the box and done the job. All of this, I guess, really comes under the category of fine tuning. And if you want to extend it, you know, relatively small teething problems. And, and I guess for a, you know, a brand new set of cars and rules, um, the work you've had to do so far is, well, it's a testament to the base design, isn't it? I think we're all too critical. We're all very close to it. We all want perfection. Getting perfection sometimes is a long process, but when you sit back and see what we've got, what we've achieved, what we've put on the track, it, for me, I think it's, it is testament to the work that both the homologation teams supercars technical the manufacturers the whole teams in building these things i personally think the cars are great i think the racing so far has been good it, you know can you make it better you can always make things better but when you get 20 cars in qualifying one there covered by three tenths i mean what do we want more from that you know it's i think we've got a great product we've got a great product for the future i think the work that everyone's done has been massive it's been huge it's taken a lot of toll on a lot of people but I think you'll hopefully you'll agree the end product is pretty exciting. And Adrian, the reality is that even with these minor adjustments, 
there has been effectively parity between both cars, hasn't there? They're, they're, they're as equal as you could possibly want. I think so, yes. We've still got a Ford. We're still an engine anomaly. Is it affecting the show? You can argue one way or the other. Depends who you ask. I don't think it is. Do we want to remove that anomaly? Of course we do. That's And that's what we're working towards doing. But at the moment, for me, the racing has been fantastic. They are extremely, extremely close. But unless you're the bloke stood on the top step every week, you're gonna, you know, you're gonna say no. We need to fix something. Thanks, ATB. Thank you, Mark Fogarty. You'll hear more from Fogs on Monday with Parked Up Plus. You'll hear more uh, podcasts from uh, the Network R Stables with a new Napa Auto Parts Grassroots Racing podcast coming out on Friday. So that's tomorrow. Uh, and the girls on the grid, they're on fire. They're pumping them out as well. So uh, make sure you check out all of those. Uh, we appreciate your listenership. We hope you have a great week. It's not too long until I might see some of you down at Phillip Island for some speed series. And the week after that, we've got supercars back at Simmons Plains down in Tasmania. Lots of motorsport going on. Have a great week, everyone. You've just listened to another Network Car production. 